On Aviation Podcast. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the On Aviation Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, and with me is my co-host, Orlando. Um, Orlando, how is your day today? Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. Just going through some really cool stuff. We are trying to see what's going on in the aviation space as always, always trying to make sure that we are keeping abreast of everything that's going on. Uh, a lot of cool development. Um, not sure how long it will last, but there's some stuff happening and it's pretty good. So pretty doing pretty good. Thank you. Awesome. Great. This week, we're going to be looking into some pretty cool stuff. Um, well, not cool stuff. Well, it's cool for some people, not cool for some others. Um, the topic will be disinflation. Uh, there's so much to cover here. I feel like uh, there's so much that I need to understand. I was thinking basically like, why should I? I, I was looking up so many things. I was like, okay, we could just turn this into a podcast. Orlando definitely knows a lot about this. He'd probably have a lot to say about this. So I'm excited to get into this. Um, so this week, we're going to take a look at disinflation. Um, so from my understanding, disinflation is basically where it's not, I, I don't think it's the exact opposite of, of inflation, but uh, it's where the growth is slow um, for inflation. And therefore, uh, businesses are not getting as much um, businesses do not get as much business from uh, customers and people stop buying stuff which basically makes the business shut down or it, or go slower than usual which results into less jobs in the market at the same time for some other people for those business businesses that are doing good um it basically allows customers to buy items at a low price, which is great. So I'm just thinking through a lot of stuff in my head. And Orlando, I just wanted to ask you, what is your definition of disinflation? Hey, that's a good question. So I think there's two things that we need to first define. Let's, 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 let's separate disinflation from deflation, right? And so um, deflation is... Uh, a reduction in money supply, right? So for example, if you think about inflation, inflation is an increase in the money supply which causes general general goods, price of goods and services to go up, right? But inflation is an increase in the money supply. Whether that money supply is done artificially by a central bank or back in the 18, uh, the 19th century when California had the big gold rush, more gold was introduced because it was a medium of, of exchange. It was, it was money, gold was money then. And so, as more gold enter the market, enter the economy, then there's more money chasing fewer goods and services. And so that causes an inflation. Now think about it this way. Say, for example, somebody buy up all the uh, half the gold and then stash it in a vault and not circulate it, then the supply of gold, which is money, would have gone down, and then you get deflation. Or another way of deflation can happen, innovation, technological innovation. We saw deflation during the late 19th century with guys like the Rockefellers, the Vanderbilt, the Andrew Carnegie's, with all these industries, things got more efficient. And because things got more efficient, there were more goods and services relative to the amount of gold substance, uh, gold money in the market, in the economy, and therefore you had deflation. Now, disinflation is some weird thing that 
I guess made I'm not sure made up, but it's been discussed over the last probably like forty years or so. Uh, probably a little bit even yeah, uh, later times. And what disinflation is is say for example you have inflation going up, say at a at a particular rate. Um, the money supply is being increased. And therefore, it's been reflecting in the price of goods and services by, say, 10% per annum. Every year, it goes up by 10%. And remember, guys, inflation is cumulative. So if you have 10% inflation over five years, you have 50% inflation after, after the end of five years. So I just want to make sure everyone remember that. Now, you're going ahead there, okay? And they say you have 10% inflation. But then one year or for two years, inflation decrease by say 2%. So the first is, you know, it goes up by 10% and the first year it goes up by only 8%. And then the second year it goes up by 6%. Okay. So that's what they would call the disinflation, right? It's not deflation because it's still inflation. It's just, it's just some words that are, they're used to define what's happening, but it's still inflation because the prices of goods and services generally in the economy is going up by 8% and 6%. The rate of increase has lowered. It is that change in rate of increase in the negative side, which is going down in terms of its rate, that is called disinflation. That's a disinflation side of it. So that's what I want to just kind of throw out that those two definitions because it can easily be misunderstood because of what we see thrown around in articles out there and, and the mainstream. So to make sure that deflation is actually a reduction in money supply, which causes the price of goods and services to reduce over time, generally in the economy. So if the price of, of something costs $100 and there's a deflation, it will cost less than $100 in the future. If there's an inflation, it will cost more than $100 in the future. If there's disinflation, it will still cost more than $100. It just won't be as much more as $100 if it was just continuing increasing inflation. All that kind of makes sense. So all that definition kind of helped, Danny. I know that you had some other things you want to discuss in terms of how businesses uh, operate in these conditions. But I'll turn it back over to you, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you, Orlando. Thank you so much for making this clear. Um, yes, disinflation and deflation. That can be very confusing. And to be honest, I think I confused this uh, at the beginning of the uh, podcast. So um, just to get something clear, I know that uh, disinflation affects um, employment um, in a huge way, but I'm not sure if it does the same way as inflation because now it's, it gets a little bit confusing because inflation uh, basically causes prices to go up uh, incredibly and businesses uh, end up um, firing a lot of people uh, because they cannot afford to um, pay um, everyone. And uh, disinflation, or sorry, deflation, um, might cause um, unemployment uh, because businesses are not able to pay uh, people during this time. So I just want to get uh, some clarity. Like, is deflation... Um, a bad thing is uh, how is it affecting businesses? How is it affecting employment during um, whenever it occurs? I'm not saying it gets occurring right now. Uh, I don't think we're in that period yet, but I think we're heading to that period very soon. Uh, but yes, Orlando, how does it affect businesses? Well, you're correct in stating that. Well, 
inflation affect businesses by driving up the cost of the input factors that goes into creating the goods and services. So for example, if you're, if you're, um, airline operator, your airline operator, or you're a 135 operator, your flight school or whatever you do, your inflation will cause the, cause the cost of what you do, of what your input costs to go up. So you have to pay instructors more, your electricity goes up, the fuel goes up. So therefore you have to, you try to absorb those. People tend to try to absorb those costs. Business try to absorb those costs, but sometimes it doesn't really work out. <laughs> it never works out. You only can absorb those costs as long as you can. Eventually, you have to pass those costs off to the customer. And that's why general price uh, goods and services go up in the economy generally for the consumer. Right? And so, uh, you know, that's not good for operators because what's happening is that there's a lot of different things that can affect them. One of the, one of the issue is that as they... As prices rise, their their input costs go up, and then they have to try and figure out how to cover these increased input costs based on what we currently charge for the product. Do we raise prices? If we raise prices and our and our, and our competitor keep prices remain the same, are we going to lose customers? Right? Um, do we believe that this is only as the word they were throwing around the early? 2021 transitory is it only transitory it's going to go away after a while um so they have to ask themselves this question if they think it's transitory they're going to keep price low and absorb the increased cost but if they believe that it's not transitory and inflation is here to stay they're going to start increasing prices so watch what the companies do watch what the, the producers of goods and services do to figure out if they believe things are transitory or not right uh so that's that's one thing the second thing to think about is how do you deal with profits so we still got inflation. We're going to get on the deflation in a minute. But how do you deal with profits during inflation? It's really tricky, right? We have an article we put out there uh, about how companies deal with inflation. And one of the biggest problems with companies in inflation is dealing with the entire concept of fictitious profits. And that goes for everywhere, but mainly for companies. For example, if you have a company and you make $10 million, you make 10% profit, uh, on 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 your on everything after EBITDA, you know, earnings before interest and tax and amortization, whatever they call that stuff, and after you pay your taxes, everything before you pay taxes, after you pay taxes, rather, you have ten percent profit. Okay, great. Inflation went up by ten percent the next year. You you sell your goods and services because you bought the year when inflation was not at ten percent higher, was ten percent lower, and you went ahead and sell that goods and services that you bought at a lower price, and you find that rather than making 10% profit, you made 20% profit. If you consume the entire 20%, you're consuming 10% of your capital because 10% of that capital is because of, of, that, of that profit, which is your profit is a capital you could reinvest. So I use profit and capital interchangeably there, but you're consuming 10% of your profit. 10% of your profit is capital. It is money that needs to go back into producing the goods and services in the future. Because the additional the additional ten percent you got, that additional ten percent is really due to inflation, and that needs to go back into the capital base, that working capital, to buy the goods and services that you need to put forward for for producing goods and services the next time around, right? So that's a big problem. And then there's another problem of dealing with asset and how you deal with depreciation of the asset and so on. It gets really tricky. It gets really tricky how you deal with that stuff. Right, so those are the, some of the challenges you can find in inflation. Deflation, you hear that deflation is a bad thing, but generally it's essential bad that says deflation is a bad thing. Okay, from an economic perspective, from the producers of goods and services, and from the consumers 
deflation is a very good thing because deflation allows the, the, the producers to acquire goods and services at lower prices, same quality, lower prices. And if they can do that at lower cost, then they can produce the goods and service at lower price to the consumer, thus increasing the standard of living. Now, central banks do not like deflation. And there may be a reason for that because deflation hurt the debtor, okay? Inflation hurts the creditor, but inflation benefits the debtor. Right, we talked about this on this podcast before where I said to you, if I loan you $100 and then I am able to, someone is able to increase the money supply by say under $100, so inflation went up by 50%, I just split what I owe you in half. So I, I pay you $100, but it's only valued really $50 of what it was, 50% of what it used to value. So I repudiate that debt, half of that debt. So it, it, inflation benefits the debtor and hurts the creditor. You're the person who lend me the money. Now in deflation, it hurts, deflation hurts the debtor and benefits the creditor. Because if you just like we talked about in this podcast before, if you lend me $100, but somehow somebody has the ability to take away $50 out of the market, out of the economy, that means $100 is now worth twice as much as it used to worth. And therefore, I have to pay you twice as much in terms of value, right? So therefore, I'm hurt as a debtor. As a creditor, you benefit. Now, think about why you'd want to have inflation. The biggest debtors in the in the world are not necessarily there's a lot of debtor. You know, the consumers are a big debtor, but the, the the biggest debtor in the world are sovereign, the sovereigns, the countries, the treasuries in the around the world, the countries, the treasuries. And so, if you can kind of, you know, have small inflation, then it helps you to pay the bills, right? So, there's some 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 thoughts on that. But the sovereigns are debtor. I'm not saying that this is what they're doing deliberately. Some people would argue that. What I'm saying now is that they benefit from inflation because they are debtor and the creditor have a disbenefit. As it comes to business, of course the business is going to benefit from deflation because they can pay less to employees at the same value and standard of living. They can acquire the, the, the input factors for production of goods and services at a lower price. Okay? So obviously it's going to benefit business. It's going to benefit individual. So to answer your question, deflation is a good thing for the economy. Not rapid deflation where money supplies shrink because something horribly went wrong, but deflation is good. But when you think about deflation, you think about money supply. You have to remember that the money supply we're talking about these days are not actually hard money, like gold, silver, or whatever. It's fiduciary media. Fiduciary media is defined as media generated by the bank. So for example, when you go to the bank and take out a credit card, that becomes money to spend in the market. It is money. It's a part of money supply, but it's fiduciary, according to Ludwig von Mises, it's fiduciary because it's not generated from hard asset or from savings. It's, as some put say, out of thin air. So when you hear about reduction in the money supply, it's really people are just stop. Banks are not lending out more money as much. So fiduciary media is reducing. That's what you see generally. Um, it's really difficult to remove money, hard money from circulation. Um, if, if say it's gold and silver, unless you give it to the bank and the bank confiscate your money. 
the money's always going to be in circulation, right? Or if people start saving more because people are worried about stuff happening, they'll save more and start and circulate less. So then you have that can happen to you have deflation in that sense. Uh, but fiduciary media, it's easy to have a, a reduction in the money supply because the bank can simply stop lending. Okay. Uh, so hopefully I can answer your question. I like the roundabout way of going towards this, but I hope that kind of brings some knowledge and some, 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 some insights in terms of what you asked there. The bottom line is businesses and consumers benefit from deflation to the extent to the extent, let me add this here to the extent that they're not overburdened and operating based on debt. Now, a lot of these companies are zombie companies, as they say, they're they're debt ridden, so deflation would hurt them. Uh, but healthy companies, deflation is a great thing. Like take up Apple, for example, deflation is a great thing. They'll they'll do even better, right? So hopefully that answers your question there. Absolutely, Orlando. Thank you so much for explaining that. That uh, brings me to another thing about, because uh, you mentioned that things now will get cheaper. Um, from what uh, from from what I understand is, uh, I think uh, I think this is this is this might be an influence from hearing what other people are saying. Um, they think that uh, you know stuff, stuff is going to get cheaper, but for some, for a lot of people right now, they've not been on jobs for a long time, or they've been struggling to keep up. And so even getting to the point of affording some things, um, it's going to be difficult for them. So when things get cheaper, it might be good for them. But uh, for some people, they, they still don't see that. So do you think uh, um, So do you think the market or the market, do you think stuff like cars or basically anything you buy, I think consumers uh, will get into uh, to consume, uh, to spend for do you think those items will remain cheap for as long as the inflation has lasted? Because I think the inflation, uh, when the, the, I'm not sure when the Fed started hiking the rates, but from what I understand is that some businesses do not like um, being in a period of having um, uh, things cheap like this because they're forced basically to offer things at a lower price because um, no one's buying anything. So what do you think? Is is this harmful to the business? That's one question. And the other thing, uh, the other question is, do you think this is, uh, do you think uh, this is going to last where things are cheap? All right. So, so the first question, the first thing is, does business, uh, you know, how does it, it affect business in terms of a cheapness? And then the other thing is really about how long will it last? Let's take the first question, for example. So the first thing that we got to think about in terms of businesses themselves and what they're doing is... Things are cheap. They're slashing price because people can't afford it because they don't have jobs. That's not the same as deflation. Remember, we define deflation as the idea that the money supply falls, the amount of money supply is reduced, and therefore the cost of goods and services go down. So generally what we're seeing now, if, if prices are going down in terms of, we see it in used cars, right? Used cars and are part of new cars. There are more supply than everybody ramped up the supply and there are more supply than, than, than demand and so the price will fall. That happens in various areas, right? But when you talk about deflation and inflation, you're talking about a general rise in all goods and services, not just some areas, right? So 
the first part of that for the first part of that question is kind of multiple parts is the fact that some of the price that you're seeing falling is because people are either out of job they you know because of the inflation because of the economic challenge because of raising interest rates companies can't keep up because they are heavily indebted they're laying off people people are getting laid off the capital is not cheap anymore people are putting their money elsewhere like with money market funds where they can get more money um more returns whether that, that return is going to offset inflation is another story, but we can get more returns. And so that's what's happening. So you see people getting laid off, people are getting laid off, they can't afford things. That's slightly different than deflation. Okay. You know, a lot of people say there's a wage spice price spiral where if rate wage goes up, then the price goes up. You know, wage don't cause prices to go up because wage is a price. It's a price of labor. It's the first thing we must understand that wage don't cause prices to go up. So sometimes federal central banks deliberately try to get people laid off because they think that's what's going to cause the price. I think they call it Phillips curve or something, but that's what's going to cause the prices to go up, go down because people are laid off. They're not spending as much. That's not what caused prices to go up. It's the increase in money supply that caused prices to go up. And therefore, um, understand that wage is a price companies pay. Labor is a price. Okay, so it's the first thing we need to understand. So that's one part of it, right? What's really happening at the local industry level, the sector level that causes these things to happen, right? The next piece of that question, the first question, is how are companies dealing with that? Sometimes companies slash prices because they don't have the demand, they need to get, get the demand. They, their input costs may still be high. So there's still inflation. It's just that the demand... It's bad, so they have to slash even more and, and go deeper into the losses to deal with that. So that's something you got to think about. Now, the other part of it is how long will this last? Now, depending on what this, what is this? Because this is many different, a couple of different things. There's this in terms of what we think is deflation is, as we said before, is extra items. People are not working. People can't buy stuff. People don't have money for discretionary spending as much. They're going to credit card. Credit card levels are high. And the banks are taking advantage by increasing the interest rates, by the way. So, you know, credit card levels are high. People are dipping into credit. They're dipping into savings. They can't survive. Things are getting rough there. Uh, it's finding it hard to survive. People are getting multiple jobs, which seem, which would make the jobs numbers seem more, but it's because people are taking in multiple jobs. So high-value jobs are gone and are going away. And the part-time jobs and the lower-value jobs, the jobs, you know, part-time and, and less you know, hourly rate are uh, going up. And so people are taking multiple jobs so they can make ends meet. So is that what's happening? That will continue because the Fed is going to continue to raise interest rates and the Fed is going to continue to try to ensure. Obviously, they're going to slow down. Obviously, they're going to step back. They're going to try to raise again. They're going to step back and raise again. They're trying to keep this thing, this thing in some kind of semblance because a lot of it, some people say it's political. There's some part of it where it has a little good before the election. All these different things are going to happen. It's multifaceted. But that will continue because the, the 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 factors that lead to those activities, to those you know, crisis type deal are going to continue. Companies are going to continue to go under because money is not easy anymore. Interest rates will not go back to zero. It cannot. If you take interest back to zero, this entire thing implode, implode. Seriously. So interest rate may fluctuate, fluctuate up. It may come back down, but it's not going to go back to zero. And the companies that we, a lot of the companies, specifically tech firms that we see around, they rely on 0% interest rates. They need it. They can't do it without it. Right? And so 
they're not going to survive. So you're going to have people out of work. So that's going to continue to happen, at least for, the, for this decade. Some of those challenges are going to happen for the rest of this decade. Now, genuine deflation, let's talk about that in terms of how long that will last. So genuine deflation or disinflation, that's happening, okay? Genuine deflation will happen at the point at which the economy collapses. When the economy enters into a recession, a depression, or a stagflation, there will be, if this is a stagflation, then there won't be a depression, long-term depression. I mean, not depression, but long-term deflation. But whenever an economy collapses, people stop spending. And because we're a credit-based economy, we're a debt-driven economy, banks stop lending. And if banks stop lending, there's less money. So there is deflation. But what happens when there's deflation? We talked about this before. The debtor suffers. And the sovereigns are the highest, the biggest debtors. They have the most debt on their balance sheet which is the countries. And so whenever the economy collapses and it starts to cause deflation, what do you think a central bank is going to do? They're going to inflate. They're going to get more money into the system to stop it from deflate. I hope that makes sense. And so even if deflation happens, it will be temporary because the central bank has to act to keep it from being permanent because the sovereigns cannot survive as they always default on their debts. Okay? So... To answer your question, again, what we see in the economy where little things, people, prices are falling because people are trying to sell these things or people are going out of business like Bed Bath & Beyond going out of business, doing a, a going out of business sale. You see those things. That's not deflation. That's different segments of the market acting uh, car in the, the auto industry. Uh, they're, they're projected to have about 20, 15 percent more cars in the market next year than demand based on projections. Okay. You're going to have to reduce prices. That's not deflation. That's one segment in reducing prices because, again, deflation is, and inflation and deflation is, generally across the economy, generally it's widespread, and only one thing can cause inflation or deflation, reduction in money supply or increase in the money supply, respectively. And so that's one thing you got to think about. Now, how long is going to last? Real deflation will last when the economy collapses. If the economy collapses, and it will, there will be a, a recession, it will be temporary because it is believed that the central banks will not allow the market to correct the malinvestments, will not allow it to correct because it's detrimental to the debtor. And so they will jump in and prevent it and put more money in. But some believe that it won't work this time because it's so levered up already. It is so bad already that if you give, if you give this drugged up economy another shot of that drug, it, they're going to overdose and die. And so that's the idea. Hopefully I answer your question. I tend to do this roundabout response, but I ho hopefully I get it there for you. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, that that definitely answers my question about the bed, bath and beyond. That explains why um, they did mention that they're shutting down um, several locations. And whenever you look at the prices, they don't look like the kind of price you'd expect for a business shutting down, which is which uh, has been very confusing for me and some other consumers because you'd expect like maybe it got a bed sheet for a lot lower, uh, a lot, a lot less than what they're offering. But they, uh, their prices are quite high, even though they're shutting down. Um, 
but yes, thank you, Orlando, for answering that. Um, if I, I may jump in on the Bed Bath and Beyond prices, my friend. Just remember, yeah. Bed Bath and Beyond is Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, right? And so, a Chapter Eleven bankruptcy means that they're trying to restructure the business. So, in some way, they're trying to restructure the business, and the main reasons for the sale is to sell off the asset so they can pay mm. the creditor, which are the bondholders, right? Right. And so if they're trying to pay out the bondholders. They want to get as much as a price they can on the asset. If you own a little mom and pop shop and you're trying to close up because you're running away from the country, you're trying to go somewhere, you're just going to fire sale that bad boy. You're trying to get out of there. But mm -hmm. Chapter 11 bankruptcy is different. They're trying to get as much as they can for all the assets so they can cover the uh, get get the cover the, the creditor uh, as much as possible to the bondholders. So that's why you notice that they're not actually just going all all you know, you know, go all bunkers with it and like, oh, sell everything slash by ninety nine percent, right? <laughs> they're not gonna do that, yeah, because they're trying to yeah. they're trying to recoup some 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 of that some of the investment from the bondholders, yeah, right. That makes sense, yeah, because uh, prices had me thinking a couple of times that maybe they're just planning to come back again. Um, I did not know they were they filed for bankruptcy, so that makes sense. Um, yeah, uh, so I'm. One thing that I'm looking forward to is definitely lower prices. Um, prices have been high for a very long time. I think a lot of consumers can relate. And um, I'm not sure what this is going to mean for housing. I feel like the housing sector is a lot different because there's a lot of variables involved to it. Um, but I I, I, uh, I hope housing is going to get uh, a, less, a lot less crazier. Um, I've noticed one thing that has been consistent during this time and Orlando I'm not sure if you want to comment on this crime and um, homelessness have been increasing mainly I feel like main, it's mainly because of the affordability but a lot of crime has been happening because well if crime happens a lot of times uh, when I hear it around San Francisco or Los Angeles it's theft and um, a lot of homelessness right now is occurring because a lot of people, a lot of people cannot afford um, housing because it's more expensive than what you used to, and not every place is rent controlled. Um, so yeah, that's one thing though. I would want to hear you, uh, your thoughts. Do you think inflation has been like a cause of crime and uh, homelessness? My friend, that question is so multifaceted. It requires two to three podcasts. I promise you that. Um, there are some factors where people are not able to to rent or buy, and they're probably on the streets. And you know, because of inflation, um, companies are laying off people and all that stuff, right? So you would see you would see those things. Uh, but my friend, it, it is it is way more than that. It is socio-political it is structural there's a lot of things that goes on there regarding regarding the price of uh, of homes and so on and then even the housing market is a different animal right now because what we saw during the subprime mortgage fiasco you know starting in 20 you know 2003 culminating in late uh 2007 you know that itself was because people were taking on loans that they, you know, they couldn't afford or homes that they couldn't afford. What's happening now is that you don't have a lot of subprime. You do have a lot of investors though. And the investors are underwater because 
their cap rate is lower than the actual cap rate is how much money they make on their capital after expenses and everything compared with what the what the money market or the Federal Reserve or Treasury is offering, right? If I say Federal Reserve before, I mean with regard to rates, Treasury, Treasury, those rates. So whatever the rates are being offered on these bonds, it's lower on the cap rate. The rates on the bonds are higher, and therefore they're taking a, they're taking a, a a negative opportunity cost. The opportunity cost is negative, and so they're trying to get out of those houses. So you see some fire sale going on. People are trying to sell those off. And so on, but people are still waiting for interest rates to go down, which they will, they will not go down. People are trying to wait, but it's not going to happen. Um, it's going to stay elevated. And even if the Fed reduce interest rate to say 2% or 3%, you're not going to see mortgage down to that level anymore, right? People are trying to recoup some of those losses because banks that have 30 year mortgage at 2.8% are losing money. So they're going to try to recoup it on the, the other end when they have to do mortgages again, whether wherever the interest rates lie in terms of the Fed funds rate. All right, so you're going to see that happening there. So that's what's going to happen in, in the space. You're going to find that people are having a hard time renting because, you know, new homes are going to be going up in prices partly because of inflation, okay? And a lot of the price appreciation you've been seeing is, one, people are driving up the prices because everyone is rushing into buying certain areas, but also because of inflation. One thing we need to pay attention to, and this goes specifically for business, is the office commercial real estate problem. Oh, it's it's wicked over there. No one is talking about it. We've been following this thing for about two years now. It's going to get really, really bad. Uh, we haven't written about it that much. Uh, maybe we reference it a little bit, but it's going to be really, really bad because the office occupants, the 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 office, the, re, the, uh, the commercial property market, they are variable interest rates. So they may have an interest rate and every five years it adjusts. So they may borrow five years ago at say, you know, 2.8% or 3%, now it's being adjusted at seven, eight, nine, up to 12%. They can't afford that. And then couple that factor, couple of the problem, the problem is COVID-19 accelerated certain conditions. The lockdowns accelerated certain conditions, uh, which is work, the work from home trend. It accelerated that. So companies are finding that their office spaces are vacant. In San Francisco, I believe it's 30% in in LA, I believe it's 25%. New York is 25%. I think Chicago is probably 20-25%. So the office occupancy rate is going down. So if you're a business, you're running on an operation, whether you're, you're in the aviation space running an operation and you have all this leasing space and you're not using it, what do you think is people going to do? They're not being used, so the landlord, the owner of the property, is not making any money. What are they going to do? They're going to turn it right over to the bank and say, hey, we're done with this. And we see that before. I think Wakefield, the Wakefield Mall in San Francisco, literally just say, "Listen, we're not paying for this anymore. The occupancy rate is down. We can't manage this stuff. Here, here's the, here are the keys. It's yours. We're out of it, and it's left. You're gonna see that over and over and over, right? And that's gonna feed into how much companies can actually produce, how much it can do, and jobs and all that good stuff, right? You may see some of that stuff unfolding. So when you think about real estate, the market for residential real estate is going to go down. Not going to be as bad as back in the day, but it will go down, right? You probably can expect to see, you know, 25, 30, probably 35 in certain areas. But you're not going to see the massive, you know, 60% drawdown in some areas like in, 20, in 2008. You're not going to see that. 
But what you're going to see the problem, where the problem is going to lie is in the commercial property. And then you might have rezoning so those can, those can be used for residential property. But who's going to buy them? When the people who are shutting out of business can't hire the people to buy them, so it's going to spill over. These, these are always spillover effects. So hopefully kind of, you know, answer your question there. As for homelessness, that's something I think that this podcast don't touch on because a lot of that is uh, regulation, a lot of that is social, a lot of that is structural, and I, I don't think that we touch on that in this podcast. It's not what this podcast is for. But just go to show that it, it's 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 re it's really multifaceted, and we have to think about that. Now, you mentioned rent control uh, in certain areas. Rent control is not necessarily a good thing. In fact, Henry Hazlitt would say rent control is very bad. I think Thomas Sowell would say rent control is very bad too. Rent control is not a good thing because when you control rent at a certain level, it makes it difficult when prices rise and you're not getting enough income off the rental to, to maintain the property. What tends to happen is that the landlord leave the property with the state. And so if you go certain places like, the, like certain projects, you see that there's a bunch of empty buildings, right? Because they can't make enough money. The other problem with rent control is that if you control rent here on affordable housing, okay, and then don't control rent on luxury homes, what do you think developers do? They make more luxury homes. Ah, you hear about um, gentrification and it's blamed on this group and that group and all that group. But think about that. If you control rent on certain property that you can't make money on and not control rent on the other one, you're going to get more of the other property because that's where the money's at. That's why you find that a lot of the inner city areas get built, rebuilt with luxury apartments. That's one of the reasons. But again, I don't go too much into that. I want to kind of stick to things that can, can help out the aviation folks. folks. But I hope I was able to answer your question, man. Absolutely. Speaking of uh, helping aviation folks, do you think uh, this is going to be uh, a helpful time? And this is the last question. I'm so sorry for asking so much. Do you think this is going to be a good thing for students who are getting into aviation? Um, do you think renting aircraft is going to be a lot cheaper and also uh, flight school? Because uh, from what I understand, that's it's an aviation business. Um, so I'm I'm pretty sure um, aviation businesses might have to uh, might have to uh, reduce costs. Uh, but yeah, what do you think about that? Unfortunately, for flight schools in particular, they're not going to be able to reduce costs much because flight schools operate on razor thin margins. All right, and they operate in what we call the feast and famine situation. So, at one point, they're making a bunch of money, particularly summertime. Right. Wintertime come, they're not making much money unless they're on the West Coast where they can fly um, pretty much 50, 50 weeks a year. Okay. Uh, but for the most part, it's a feast and famine business. As prices rise, they have to raise prices. They don't have a lot of buffer. They don't have a lot of leeway. So they have to raise prices. For the actual pilots, if the economy Truck, trucks along and just continue going along and the aviation industry is still doing what the airlines are still flying, which if, they, if there's a recession, they're going to struggle real hard. They're going to get support power from the government or they're going to get certain, they're going to consolidate, whatever you're going to do. But as long as the pilot demand is there, flight school can still rest assured that they're going to have some business, right? So we, we're going to see that. As for the pilot themselves, the cost of trading will go up. Okay, I was listening to, I think it's Todd Shellnut. All right. Uh, CFI Pro courses. I think he, he's good at what he does. And he was saying that when he was training 
he was talking about being a CFI. I think he said he spent uh, his entire training, actually his entire training from zero to hero. I think he said it was $25,000. I think it was like in the 80s or early 90s. He said, he said it was early 90s. He said it was $25,000. Compared to now, you're lucky if you get through private with $25,000. And he still have to do instrument, you got to do commercial, probably got to do your CFI, you got an ATP to do. You know? So that inflation is going to be there. But rest assured, there are going to be folks out there who are willing to lend you money to do it. Right? And they can charge you a large enough interest rate to offset inflation, then they're going to do it. So we're going to find, you're going to find a lot of pilots now are going to not be trying to become pilots from savings as they used to be in the past, more pilots, less and less pilots are going to become pilots from, from loans. Okay. As we find that a lot of flight schools, a lot of flight aviation institutions, aviation academies and colleges are allowing students to use student loans and other loan, uh, other uh, loan vehicles to pay for that. So that's what you're going to see happening. If the, if the demand for pilots stays high, so I believe it will, even during a depression, because let me just say this to, to, to folks, not because something say a depression mean that the entire country is dead. Okay, a depression mean that it's depressed growth over a certain period. And so some industries can still be doing okay. Okay, so if even the depression, if, we, if the pilot demand is still there and folks are willing to lend money after accounting for the risk with the individual and the economy, then you're gonna have people wanna do that, give loans. And you see, you find more people doing loans to be able to go 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 train. As for people buying their own aircraft to train with, if someone is willing to give them a loan to do that, they can still do that and then sell it back later to someone else who's gonna get a loan to pay for it to do the same thing. So or put it in the FBO. But we talked about that before. You put it in an FBO to lease back and try to make some money off the aircraft, you might find it be a little bit less than before as people have less have less discretionary income outside of training. They may not want to spend money on just flying around, right? And so you, you'll find those things happening. So again, roundabout answer, but hopefully I was able to answer your question, my friend. All right. Thanks for answering that, Orlando. Uh, so yeah, that will be all for today. Uh, thanks, Orlando, for answering these questions. I hope the audience is going to get a better picture of how inflation disinflation and inflation is going to affect everyone um, including those in the aviation community or those planning to train uh, but yeah that will be all for uh, us um, Orlando do you have any thoughts closing thoughts before we end this podcast I would just like to close with the format of this podcast I really appreciate the format I enjoy the format um, and so I think the topic was a, was a, was an important topic because Deflation, inflation, disinflation, all these things are not fully understood from a definition perspective. And if it's not understood properly from a definition perspective, if you don't know the proper definition of something, you can't actually use it in practicality to prepare, to prevail, and prosper during the time you need that information. So that's what I'll add, my friend. That's all I got. Thank you. Thanks, Orlando. All right. Thanks, everyone. And I hope you... Um, have a great weekend. Please let us know your thoughts and um, yeah, we're looking forward to hearing you. Goodbye. Bye-bye.